Welcome to the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove. Today, we're going to talk about the Green Party of the United States. The Green Party is the fourth largest political party in the U.S. with a platform based on four pillars, peace, ecology, social justice, and democracy. We're joined today on Zoom by Howie Hawkins, Green Party co-founder and 2020 U.S. presidential candidate. Hi, Howie. Hello. Nathan Klein, Outreach Coordinator for the Green Party at the Kansas City, Missouri, and 2020 Missouri State Senate candidate. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having us on tonight. Teresa Wilkie, Co-Chair of the Kansas Green Party. Hi, Teresa. Hi, Bob. Nice to see you. And Nick Blessing, Secretary and former Co-Chair of the Kansas Green Party. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having us. As of last year, 2021, the Green Party held, what, 133 elected offices across 18 states? You've run candidates in seven U.S. presidential cycles. That was Ralph Nader in 1996 and 2000, David Cobb in 2004, Cynthia McKinney in 2008, Jill Stein in 2012 and 2016, and Howie Hawkins in 2020. Howie, you co-founded the Green Party. Give us some background on why the party formed. Well, we formed in the 1980s at a time when uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was setting the tone, but the Democrats were voting for his programs, you know, the, the cutback in social programs, the military buildup. And uh, we felt we needed an alternative that represented the people's needs and protection of the environment and peace. I mean, that was a big issue then. We had the uh, intermediate-range missiles pointing right at each other in Europe, so there was a big anti-nuclear movement. But these movements were not getting expression in the two-party system. So a lot of us, you know, like myself, had been involved in looking for an alternative going back to 1968, the Peace and Freedom Party, representing peace in Vietnam and Freedom, the slogan of the civil rights movement. And uh, after the German Greens got something like 30 people elected to their Bundestag, uh, people interested in a third party here on the left said, maybe we should do that, as did people in a lot of countries. So now they're Green parties all over the world. And uh, we find ourselves still in the same situation. We don't have a climate program at the federal level. Uh, we're now saber rattling around Ukraine and those missiles, those intermediate range missiles, the U.S. pulled out of that treaty. And now they're pointed, you know, right at Russia and Russia's threatening to do the same thing. And the missiles are practically kissing each other across that border. Um, and then inequality has grown. Economic inequality has grown since the 1980s. So what we started to do uh, still needs to be done as much as ever. So it seems like you formed as the Green Party and there is this global green movement that, you know, multiple countries doing that. But I'm hearing a lot of larger social issues and, and democratic issues and such. Did those evolve later or was that part of the original platform from the beginning? It was part of the original platform, the four pillars that you mentioned, you know, peace, ecology, nonviolence and grassroots democracy. And the democracy issue has always been important for the Greens. I mean, we've seen the two-party system, which is flows from the single-member district winner-take-all 
election system. Most countries have proportional representation. So every party, like the Green Party, gets their fair share of representation in legislative bodies. But that's become more of an issue for us now than ever, because the Republican Party is now not just a conservative party, it's an extremist party. It's an anti-democratic party. And the Democrats talk about voting rights and uh, trying to stop the Republicans from taking control of the administration of elections so they can steal them. That's what we're witnessing right now, but the Democrats suppressed the Green Party with onerous ballot access requirements. They challenge us when we do get a petition in. And party suppression is as authoritarian as voter suppression. I mean, voting rights should include the right or the right of candidates to the ballot as well as voters to the ballot so that voters have all their choices. So I think given that the Republican Party is so far to the right now and so many progressive-minded people feel they got to vote for the Democrats to stop the Republicans, the Greens are in a more difficult position than ever inside this two-party system. So these democracy issues are, have come to the fore much more in the last few years for us. Your website says that the Green Party stands for and or with Black Lives Matter, Dreamers, Green New Deal, Israel-Palestine, single-payer, gender identity, working people, women's equality. That's a pretty inclusive agenda. How do these positions mesh and work with core climate and environmental issues? Teresa, do you want to address that? I just want to second Howie's opening statement. And thank you, Howie, for saying all that. I want to tell your listeners, Bob, that I had just started college in 1974, and Ralph Nader spoke at the K-State Union, and I was in the very front row. Of course, I wasn't old enough to vote in Kansas in 1974, but I was amazed to hear the political topics and the reason and sensibility and intelligence that was applied to the problems of our nation. I would say, when I heard Ralph Nader speak, of course, Ralph Nader has always talked about consumer advocacy. He's famous for that. And he would never suggest that anyone pollute anything. But at the time, this is many years ago when the Green Party founded, the environment wasn't a front in your face as it is today. So we have continued to exploit and pollute our environment to the point where climate change has reached a arguably no return point. When the Green Party founded in the United States, that was not true. It, it wasn't really on anyone's mind that this would happen. And so uh, we're green. I, I think that many intelligent people had an idea that this was our future to pay attention to the environment. But we always paid attention to many facets of egalitarian social and political life in the United States. As Howie mentioned, in many ways, the U.S. is a two-party system, the Republicans and Democrats. You know, why do we need a third party and what is its role in U.S. politics? 
Nathan, you want to take that? Sure, I'll, uh, I'll try to tackle it. Um, you know, no, you know, number one, both of these uh, corporate political parties are are failing the American people, and the American people know it. I'm out on the street corner every every week talking to people, and uh, you know, people across the political spectrum uh, know that these two political parties do not represent them. They represent their their corporate donors, right? And they build these one-party districts, and they don't even run against each other. And they take money from the exact same corporate uh, donors. They, the American people know how corrupt this system is. They're just not sure how to get out of it, right? You've got these two parties that kind of uh, got us in this bind, where whoever's in power, the American people are not happy about it, okay? And so they just go back to the other one and then back to the other one. But we've got to break out of the two-party trap. And the Green Party is the way to do it because the Green Party is the only party whose candidates refuse to take corporate donations. No other country in the world allows for the completely legal bribery of elected officials, okay? And the Green Party, the first step is to have a party and candidates that you can actually vote for that will be public servants that will serve only the people in those districts, okay? If you don't have that choice, then you don't have a representative democracy or even a hope for a representative democracy. The Green Party is the hope to bring back representative democracy to America because the American people know that they're not represented by these, by whether the Democrats are in charge or the Republicans are in charge. They know who's really in charge and that's their, the corporate bosses that pay their, pay their campaign salaries, right? So, you know, that's why the Green Party is so important and no other party is doing that in this country. And, you know, we're an all volunteer based movement, um, you know, almost completely volunteer based um, to put people, planet, peace over profit. Right. And if we don't do it, the, the, no, the two corporate parties won't do it. They built the pay to play political system. Right. They're not going to reform it themselves. Everybody knows that. Right. And hoping and praying and expecting something different to happen when we elect them again is the definition of madness, right? Because we keep hoping for something else to happen and the same stuff keeps happening, right? The, not, the ecological crisis is not addressed. The healthcare crisis is not addressed. The housing crisis is not addressed. I could go on and on, right? The things that Americans need is ignore, are ignored and the things that wealthy donors need are of course put to the top of the list every time, whoever's in charge between those parties. So we've got the Green Party is the hope to get out of that, that two-party trap. Next same question, why do we need a third party in the US politics? Well, I think Nathan put it really well, but the simple answer, my my simple answer is there's there is no incentive. And I think this is basically what what Nathan is is kind of saying. There's no incentive on the part of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party to um, solve or deal with the crises that we're that we're seeing today, the the um, take the the um, eviction crisis or that I would say people people are losing their homes, people are being thrown out of public housing when and and getting evicted, and there's basically nothing they can do about it. There's um, we're seeing escalations of, of war and, and we're not dealing with the climate crisis. The, 
in how we talked about this too early on, the, the just the electoral system that we have doesn't allow for a third party to be to be successful in this country. The first past the post uh, single member district system and and lacking um, ranked choice voting. Um, if you had something like ranked choice voting or uh, proportional representation, um, then more people would be would feel like they could vote for a third party. People just feel like they they can't vote for a third party because, well, they have to vote for the Democrat or they have to vote for the Republican because they they think the other side is worse than the other. Um, the, both of the parties can just point to the other one and say, look at how terrible they are. You have to vote for me. There's like this negative um, incentive that they that they're able to put on the voters, and then they're not really ultimately held accountable because then they can just basically say, "Well, okay, we'll lose the next election, but then we'll just win the next election cycle after that." And we it, the the election cycle that we have in this country is very predictable um, until until Trump just lost. Um, his reelection bid, it had been, I think, since since Clinton, um, both parties get two terms in the presidency and the other party gets two terms in the presidency. It's and it's almost always that when one party wins the presidency, the other party wins the midterms right after that. We have a very predictable electoral cycle. And and uh, I, I think. Nathan was basically talking about this too. We need to break out of that cycle and we do it with a third party and, and we do it with reforms to our electoral system. So we need to break out. We all agree on that, but how do we do that? I mean, there's still people that look back to 2000 and say Ralph Nader cost Al Gore the election. What do we say to these people that support your platform that are just afraid to vote third party? You know, especially today when the elections are so close. Terry, you want to grab that? Right. I, I, so far, Bob, I have been a little taken aback to hear all this talk about two parties. In Kansas, we have three parties. We have three official parties. And so there are not just two parties. Absolutely, Nick, you're correct. Our system is rather set up for the two major political parties, Democrats and Republicans. But people can have no party. They can register as independents. And in Kansas, we do have a Libertarian Party, which has gained uh, official status. And I think it's very large in the United States. So what I like to say on this issue is there's not enough parties for me. What about at the national level, Howie? I know we keep talking about breaking up the national. It seems, I mean, state politics vary from state to state, but at the national level, I think what you're saying applies for, you know, we're really locked down to those two parties and they suppress the Green Party or other third parties actually becoming eligible. How do we break out of that? How do we convince enough people to come and vote for your party that it can make a difference? Well, the winner-take-all, you know, single-member district system really creates strong incentives for people to vote for the lesser evil, particularly, as I said, the Republican Party has just moved so far to the extreme, right, that it's anti-democratic. But historically, 
you know, a lot of people voted third party because if you don't vote for what you want, you silence yourself. Even the Trump you know, versus Biden election, the Green Party was for the Green New Deal and they were both against it. We were for Medicare for all and they were both against it. We were for cutting the military budget and devoting those savings to social and environmental protections and they were against it. So you ask, why should people vote for us if we might quote unquote spoil the election? If you don't vote for what you want, you silence yourself. You disappear from the whole political discussion. You end up voting for what you oppose. So, and historically, third parties, because enough people voted for them, you don't have to win the office to put issues on the table that the two major parties ignore. Started with the Liberty Party and the question of slavery. And that evolved into free soil and by the time Lincoln was elected, the Republicans, he wasn't a third party candidate, he was a first party candidate. The Republicans had the largest uh, caucus in the Congress when he ran. And then after that, you had the farmer labor populist parties, Greenback Labor and then the People's Parties. And they put a whole bunch of questions that everybody had to deal with because they were electing a lot of people to local office, state office, even Congress. Those issues were anti-monopoly regulating railroads and banks, public ownership of utilities, the eight hour workday. And, and the two major parties weren't addressing those, but because those farmer labor populist parties did, the major parties had to deal with them. And we got some of those reforms. And then the next period of reform, the Socialist Party, along with a host of progressive and uh, union-based labor and uh, Farmer labor parties, you know, particularly dependent on the region and the locality, and then nationally the Socialist Party, they put things on the table like Social Security, direct elections of senators, um, recognizing unions, you know, institutionalizing their legality. So in the 30s, what happened to the left was the Communist Party put forward a popular front and voted for Democrats, saying that's the way to stop the fascists which might've been a reasonable policy in Europe. Here, the Republican party wasn't fascist. There were fascists around, but probably not a good policy. But since that time, most of the progressive left has settled on the Democrats. And in terms of major reforms since the New Deal, except for the period in the 60s when the civil rights movement was strong and the US internationally had to get rid of Jim Crow if it was gonna compete with the Russians for the allegiance of countries around the world, we haven't had major reforms. Yet even today, the Green Party, we're the ones that put the Green New Deal into the national discussion. And the progressive Democrats picked it up, they watered it down. It was never voted on, Pelosi wouldn't let them vote on it. When they voted on it in the Senate, uh, and let me say how it was watered down. They, they, they eliminated the ban on fracking and new fossil fuel infrastructures. They eliminated the phase out of nuclear power. They eliminated the uh, cuts in military budget to help pay for the Green New Deal and also redirect human and physical resources to a clean energy system. And they extended the deadline for uh, zero emissions 20 years to 2050. And even that couldn't get through to Congress. Pelosi wouldn't let him vote on it. McConnell said, okay, we're gonna put you all on the record. And when it came up for a vote, all the Democrats abstained except four of those Democratic senators voted with the Republicans, no. So 
And then Biden and Harris ran against the Green New Deal. Oh, oh no, we're not for a Green New Deal. So it's back to the Greens. And but the fact that we got it into the discussion has been the historic role. So that's why you need to vote for what you want and not settle for the lesser evil. Otherwise, what you want gets lost in the sauce. It just disappears. I think you're so right. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but not enough people vote. So we need to encourage voting and to have more options to vote, more political opinions to express and be supported. That's that's what we're doing. Nathan? My, my sense is that, you know, and you can see it in elections. I mean, unless it's a presidential election, at presidential elections, you might get around 50% of the people to vote, right? Um, and off your elections, you're lucky to get half of that, right? Most people don't vote because they don't see the difference that voting for a Democrat or Republican is going to make in their lives. And you know what? They're correct, okay? The American people are not incorrect in not voting. They're correct if you think that the choice is between the Democrats and Republicans, the Green Party gives people something to vote for, okay? Gives people something to vote that will change their lives, that will make their communities work better. Will get, will make it so that you don't have to watch your neighbors sleeping in tents in the park down the street from you, you know? And that is a radically different thing to do, right? To vote for what you want and to, what we want to do is to get people to commit to never again voting for a candidate that has taken bribes from business. Okay. No other country allows this. Okay. Under no circumstances should elected officials be able to take money from the companies that are seeking contracts, tax breaks, and regulatory exemptions that local small businesses can't get because they can't afford to buy those politicians. Okay. Never again vote for someone that's taken those bribes. Okay. And when the American people stand up and if you're rightist, vote for a rightist candidate that, that won't take the money. If you're a leftist, vote for a leftist candidate or whatever, but don't, don't, do not allow your democracy to be sold, which is what's happened in this country. And, and the Green Party gives you the chance to actually vote for a real public servant that will work only for you. I think another reason people don't vote is they don't think it'll change who their representative is. Under this system of single member districts, winner take all, most districts are one party districts. One of the two major parties has the majority. And you can vote and vote and vote, and it's not going to change who your representative is. So people say, why bother? 90% of congressional districts are non-competitive. And with the gerrymandering we're going through, it might tick up a few more percents. Same thing with state legislatures. 95% of the districts are non-competitive. So people say, we know who's going to win. I'm not going to vote because I don't want to be a sucker. I think a lot of people you know, feel that. Now, the presidential is competitive at the national level, and so people do come out for that. But uh, the other elections, people say, I can vote all I want. It's not going to change who the representative is. Now, I think, you know, what uh, Nathan just said is, you know, what we got to tell people is vote for what you want. You don't have to win the office to make a difference. I mean, I'll give you one example that I was involved in. I was the gubernatorial candidate for New York 2014. 
running against the now disgraced governor, Andrew Cuomo. And he wanted to get more votes than he got when he was first elected in 2010. He wanted to get more votes than his father, Mario Cuomo, ever got because he wanted to get ready to run for president in 2016. He wanted to pad his resume. And we got 5% because we were against his austerity budget. We were for a ban on fracking. And Cuomo, at the end of that election, he had to say, what do I got to do to get that 5% to Greenscott? And what he did was adopt reforms that we had campaigned on he had never supported. A ban on fracking, a $15 minimum wage, and paid family leave. So you don't have to win the office to change the politics. Of course, what we really want to do is change the political system so that if we're, you know, a 10% party, we get 10% of the representation in the legislature. I think we're more like a 20, 25% party if we had a proportional representation system. And then uh, we would not only be able to raise issues in elections, we'd be able to raise them in the legislatures and continue the discussion. You're listening to The Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove. We're speaking with Howie Hawkins, Nathan Klein, Teresa Wilkie, and Nick Blessing about the Green Party of the United States. So let's talk about the let's talk about the state parties a little bit. Nathan, can you give us some background on Missouri's Green Party? I I've personally been involved um, since the '96 when we were working to get uh, you know Nader on the ballot in Missouri. I've been more or less involved uh, ever since, um, and. You know, we, you know, we're, you know, we're a, a ragtag group of volunteers uh, that have been working hard to, you know, uh, advocate for, you know, a, a sane uh, future for our, for our children and grandchildren, the world to live in. Um, and, you know, we are a, we've built up a very professional organization. We've got chapters around the state. Um you know, uh, we're now engaged for the third time in uh, 20 years to regain our ballot access. Uh, as Howie said, uh, you know, uh, the uh, two corporate parties, you know, they don't want to have they don't want you to have any choices. <laughs> uh, you know, so we're out there petitioning uh, right now to regain our statewide ballot access. Uh, we feel confident that we'll be able to do that um, as as when we're out there talking to the our neighbors uh Missourians want choices. <laughs> you know, they are they are un, unhappy with the narrow choices that they have. Um, you know, we have uh, you know a, a good structure uh, throughout the state, um, and you know we we invite everyone to you know come and check us out and uh, come volunteer, come come join us. We're also looking for people to run for office as clean green candidates. You know, in Missouri to give. Uh, you know, our communities, the ability to vote for candidates that are not for sale, um, you know, and, the, and, and we, you know, have a lot of resources on our website. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, we're, we're an opportunity uh, to change uh, the dynamic and in Missouri, and, and we hope that people will, will jump on board. You say you have to uh, reapply for access to the ballot every cycle. Is that true? Well, unless, you know, uh, if we meet the certain threshold um, of then, votes then that previous cycle, then you're automatically then we automatically. But that's very difficult, especially, you know, uh, you know, the Democrats and Republicans, you know, you know, basically what they do in the Howie kind of, 
you know, said this is they talk people into voting against one of the parties. Very few, you know, there's a small minority of people that vote for one of these parties. Most people vote against one of these parties that vote at all. Terry, tell us about the Kansas Green Party. Kansas Green Party was founded in 2001, and I personally became involved with the Kansas Green Party when Jill Stein ran for president in 2016. And so I got eyes. I thought Jill Stein was a fabulous candidate and worked very hard for her election. And she showed up well in Kansas. Kansas has a history as a populist state. Jill Stein was a good straight talker worked very hard on her campaign. I'm glad, Howie, that you talked about the measures that are taken against the Green Party. She's currently facing fines for campaign funds she received that and lawsuits, which are really only intended to suppress Green Party activity. Well, in my opinion, and certainly the people who are are making the lawsuits are not going to admit that that's their motive. But her her campaign finances were good and clean, but she's facing lawsuits on that issue all these years later. So that just goes to show you to, in support of how, how he is correct about the trouble it is to advance a party. But in Kansas, we continue to try. We're trying to get ballot access. We have done several petitioning access. We are not an official party and Kansas never have been, unlike Missouri. I introduced a bill to the Kansas House Committee on Elections last week asking for a revision of the Kansas statute that says how many name signatures need to be on a petition. And we submitted the same bill to the House Committee on Elections two years ago, and then COVID happened. I'm not sure it died in committee. I'm not sure it wouldn't have died in committee anyway. And uh, then this year, I'm optimistic we can also submit it to the Senate Committee on Federal and State Affairs, which is the committee that the legislature is going on now, and we're going to continue to try to advance the idea that the Kansas statute should be revised to require half as many signatures. They're asking for a number which is equivalent to about 20,000 signatures on a petition that the party only has 180 days to obtain the signatures. So we're asking that this be amended to be 10,000 signatures, which is still a substantial number of registered Kansas voters and that the time period that we're allowed to collect these signatures be extended so that we're, Kansas is a huge state of mostly nothing. And to get signatures, you have to do some driving and you drive for hours in this process. Also, it's very important to try to build candidates for office who will identify as green. Since we're not an official party, we have a candidate for insurance commissioner, and he is going to run as an independent, but as a person perfectly willing to say he's green. So what is the, the demographic of the Green Party? I mean, your existing 
Green Party people. What does that kind of look like, Nick? Well, um, most of the people that it, it really, everybody among the people that are signed up as members of the Kansas Green Party, now you can't, you can't register as a green with your voter registration. So it's limited to people who have signed up with us um, through, through our website and, and our own, our own system. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually pretty diverse age-wise. There are a number of older people. There's quite a few people that are, um, that are younger than me, people that are around uh, 20. So it's, uh, it's definitely not a monolith. It's, it's actually quite diverse. Well, that's good. I'm always curious where, you know, where the young people are heading because they are our future. I mean, young voters this yeah. tomorrow. So, you know, are they trying? Nathan, where are you seeing on the Missouri side? Is there some young energy there? Or is it a diverse, non-monolithic structure? Yeah, we, uh, you know, we, we do have quite a, quite an age range. Uh, we have, uh, you know, ethnic diversity, um, you know, in the last election cycle, uh, you know, we had a number of high school kids uh, that we were working with, even, um, you know, that identified as Green Party and then uh, reached out to us, uh, you know, because they were, you know, in, you know, political clubs in their school and they, you know, and they joined us. And, and you know, so we, you know, I think that, you know, certainly I think, you know, the way I think about it, and I know others as well in the party is that, we're building this party for the generation that's going is walking into the teeth of the climate crisis. Unfortunately, my generation and the generations before me, and we've known about the climate crisis the, for a long time, right? The scientists have been ringing the alarm bell for as loud as they can for 40 years. Okay. So multiple generations have completely blown it. Okay. And, and I'm very, and I, and that's, and that's, that's this, disgusting okay actually um and young folks know this okay and they know how badly uh that the democrats and republicans and and, and, and older generations have have left the, left them in the lurch and we're building this party for them i'm i'm building the infrastructure i'm building the tools you know when i'm working i'm saying i i i'm wanting to i'm ready to hand this to that generation because that generation the it's the biggest generation in the world, the generation coming of age right now. It's the his, biggest generation in the history of the world. They will determine whether or not the human experiment will succeed or not on this planet. Okay, because we have to have revolutionary change at this time on this planet because we've blown it so bad that there's no, we don't have any more time for incremental solutions. Okay, uh, we have to have rapid transformation of our energy, our agriculture, you know, every sector, transportation sector of our economy, and not only in this country, but worldwide, right? You know, the Green Party is a worldwide movement, okay? It's the only one, okay? It's the only worldwide political movement. You know, we are the echo, an eco-socialist movement, right? You know, the first step to being able to address the climate crisis is to first end desperation, because people that can't, that don't know how they're going to eat today or pay this month's, uh, you know, electric bill, they really can't focus on what's going to happen in, you know, the next generation. Right. So the first step is meeting the needs, the basic needs of all, all the people, not only this country of the world. And that's, and that's very important about the green party, you know? So, 
you know, and, and we've been right all along. <laughs> okay. That's the thing. The Green Party has been right all along. Our platform hasn't had to, had to be tweaked a lot. The world's coming to us. The, the, the planet is proving us right, unfortunately. Okay. I don't, we don't want to be right. We don't want there to be a climate crisis, but there is. And it's going to be, it's going, you know, every year it's going to be exponentially worse. And people are going to look to those that had it right. That's the Green Party. And, and we're building it for that generation, uh, that young generation that, that needs, is going to have to grow up fast. Okay. And we've got to support them because we've left them in the lurch. And that's what we're here for. So, Nathan, you ran for uh, Missouri Senate in 2020. What was that like? Were Missourians receptive and supportive of Green Party candidate? Oh, absolutely. I also ran for Jackson County Executive in, in uh, 2018. And, um, oh, absolutely. Every, every, every forum that I was in, um, it was, it was it, I mean, it's easy sledding. It's just, you know, uh, people are hungry. And, and the thing is, what you got to understand is that both races I ran and there was no Republican. I, I lived down in the Midtown, Kansas City, Missouri. No Republican runs in anything down here. Okay, you go outside of town, no Democrat runs. Okay, so you just run against the incumbent, corrupt Democrat. And basically, I just get out as Missouri Ethics co Commission, you know, uh, donor list and start reading. Why are you taking money from this bank? Oh man, do they get mad? Oh boy, because nobody ever calls them out on their corruption, right? And I do it in front of you know just neighborhood groups or whatever, you know, and they're just like, oh, they just they just hit the, they hit the floor. They, I mean, they can't believe that somebody is pointing out their corruption um, and, and it is corruption. Okay. Let us call it what it is. It is bald faced corruption. That's illegal anywhere else in the world. Okay. It happens other places in the world, but it's technically illegal. Um, you know, so yes, people are very receptive to be able to vote uh, for an honest person uh, that wants to be their public servant and will never take money from any corporation. It's, 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 it's wanting the biggest pot of money in the world is the U.S. tax base, right? We have enough resources to solve all our problems. Easy, okay? It's just that our priorities, the, the two corporate parties' priorities are completely goofed up, <laughs> okay? And people know it. And, and so we just need more candidates and we just need more volunteer energy and we can make this happen. I'm, I'm, you know, you know, the Green Party is the, is the optimistic party because we, we see a way that we can survive on this planet, you know, and, you know, I, I hope that more people join in. We're building, building the movement. So it sounds like Missourians are really receptive to that yet. I know you didn't win that race. Um, is it again, just a third party thing, just getting enough people to vote for that off small party? Is that the obstacle? Well, it, it's just, get, I think it's, uh, you know, the first time somebody hears about you and your party and what you're about, you know, they're skeptical and they should be, okay? People shouldn't just, you know, you know, be fly by night, you know, whatever, but we got to have stick and stay. And that's what we've done in Missouri, okay? We've come back again. We have the same message. You know, we have the same, you know, commitment to the people and to in representative uh, democracy, right? Just basic representative democracy. And the people are very receptive to that across the political spectrum because they don't have another choice like that, right? Whatever your politics are, 
Americans believe in democracy. They don't have one of those currently, and they would like to have it back. And the Green Party is offering that to them. And I did I did very well. I got 36,000 votes in Jackson County alone for Jackson County executive. I mean, that and and we're building off of that. OK, it doesn't happen overnight, but it's a, it's a growing thing. And and it's a worldwide movement. You know, it doesn't it's not just dependent on what's going on in Kansas City. It's happening in 90 countries around the world. Right. And growing. So, you know, this is this is this is a growing concern. And and and, and it's time to it's time to jump on board. We got, don't have any more time to waste, you know, because these other parties aren't going to do what needs to be done for our children and grandchildren to live on a survival, you know, survival of this planet. They're not. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Terry mentioned the Libertarian Party strong in Kansas. And um, I mentioned at the it's beginning official of the show. Official, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the show the Green Party is the fourth largest in the United States. The Libertarian is actually the third largest party in, in the United States. Um, Howie, I believe you've been nominated on both by both the Libertarian and the Green Party. So you're you're obviously familiar with both. Can you Tell us a little bit, I mean, help us distinguish, differentiate between the two. Well, I've never been uh, nominated by the Libertarian Party. Okay. I've done joint news conferences with them uh, around voting issues, drug policy reform. Um, I was actually talking with the guy who's running for governor this year, uh, this afternoon, and about which of the two fair ballot access bills we should support. And they went to a Republican, which is a dead end in New York, where the Democrats have super majorities in both chambers. So we got a Democrat now to sponsor a bill. So we were hashing out strategy there. So we work together. But while we agree on some things like ending the war on drugs, cutting the military budget, ending corporate welfare, uh, we disagree particularly on economics. I mean, they want a laissez-faire market economy, and we think the public sector should play a bigger role. Instead of uh, utilities being investor-owned that are natural monopolies, they should be publicly owned and answer to the people, not shareholders from all over the world, as one example. So, um, you know, we work with the libertarians where we agree, and we argue with them where we disagree. <laughs> but what we're both facing in New York, I mean, when you say you got to get 20,000 signatures in 180 days, man, we would take that in a minute because we just got in 2020 under the cover of the COVID lockdown attached to the budget bill, a party suppression bill, a ballot exclusion bill that Governor Cuomo ran through. I think it's revenge for the 5% I got. So it tripled the number of votes we need to stay on the ballot and doubled the frequency we're tested from every four years for governor to every two years when there's a statewide election. So it's the presidential or the governor vote. So we lost ballot status in 2020. Um, It then to get back on the ballot, they tripled the signatures we need to get. So we got to get 45,000 signatures in 42 days. That's the hardest petition in the country. And this is all the Democratic Party. It's outright party suppression. 
And then they quintupled the number of signatures we have to get in each congressional district or half the congressional districts from 100 to 500, this distribution requirement. And that's usually the way the Democrats challenge a statewide ballot petition. They, they, they challenge you getting enough signatures in half of these congressional districts. So we got our hands full this year. Um, and the votes we need went from uh, 50,000 to 130,000 or 2%, whichever is greater. Well, in 2020, 2% was 173,000 votes. So, you know, the whole purpose of this law was to get the Green Party off the ballot. And they succeeded, but we're gonna to try to fight back. We gotta get those 42,000 or 45,000 signatures in the latter half of April and May. And if we do that, uh, I think we're gonna get a good result in the election because the governor, Kathy Hochul is a corporate Democrat, a pretty conservative politician from Buffalo, New York originally, and actually was elected with cross endorsement of the conservatives to uh, one of her positions, which was uh, the county clerk in I think Erie County. And then the Republicans are running a Trump sycophant, uh, Lee Zeldin, a congressman from Long Island who is he's gonna get no traction in New York because we know Trump and people in New York don't like Trump. So there's a big vacuum on the left. And I think if we can get on the ballot, we are gonna have a good result and move the debate. Our issues, there's a New York health plan. It's a single payer plan. It's been passed in the state assembly since the nineties. And they always said, well, get us a majority in the Senate and we'll get it passed. Well, they've had a majority since 2018. And every time it hasn't got out of committee in the Senate side or the assembly side where it had passed before. And we look at the, where the money they're getting, the money they're getting is coming from the insurance industry, big money. So they, they're just gonna not do that. And of course the Green New Deal, uh, we need police reform and unqualified immunity, universal childcare. I mean, we got a good platform it's gonna be appealing to the people. And, uh, you know, one of the things to say about, uh, you know, the popularity of our program, if you poll for issues that we support, like the Green New Deal, like Medicare for All, like taxing the rich, like uh, paid leave, uh, student debt relief, they poll in the 60s and 70 percents. The Green Party platform is more popular than the Democrats or the Republicans platform. Uh, it's just a matter of, I think, people thinking it's a realistic vote because we've elected more people to local office and then state office and then the House of Representatives. If we had a Green Caucus in the House, our presidential candidate would not be blanked out by the media like I was in 2020. But to do that, you know, we could really get rid, it would really help to get rid of single member district winner take all elections and have a proportional system. So everybody gets their fair share of representation. And I think we can argue with the Democrats and Republicans that like you talked about Kansas City, that's all Democrats, the Republicans don't even bother. You can talk to the Republicans in Kansas City and say, support proportional representation because you then be able to elect a representative who represents you. Same thing in rural Kansas. The Democrats don't run there because the Republicans got a monopoly, these one party districts go to those Democrats in the rural area and say, you should be with us on this reform of proportional representation. So I think if you go to most districts, um, you have a strong minority. I mean, a, you know, 40 
percent say, or a majority, because a lot of times people get elected with a plurality who aren't getting represented. So I think there's, you know, the political basis there for pushing proportional representation. And I think the Greens need to put that high on their agenda going forward. Thank you. And I want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. Where can our listeners go to learn more about your group? Nick? Um, you can go to kansasgreenparty.org. You can also um, learn more about our candidate for insurance commissioner at corcoran4commissioner.com. That's four with the number four. Terry, where would you send people? I've got to say we have a Facebook page, KS Green Party. And I would also like to say we have regular Zoom meetings every other week. If you go to kansasgreenparty.org, you can sign up to get the Zoom link. Nathan, where would you like to send people to learn more about the Missouri Green Party? Uh, well, I, I, first I'd send them to our website. Uh, for the Missouri Green Party, it's mo, M-O, greens, with an S, dot O-R-G. For the Kansas City chapter, is greens with an S K C greens K C dot O R G. Thank you. Howie, where do you want to send people? Well, howiehawkins.us is my campaign website from 2020. And all the uh, press releases and policy papers, uh, news coverage, uh, and articles I've written since then uh, are archived there. And then we have greensocialist.net, which is the website of the Green Socialist Organizing Project, which is sort of the post-campaign organization we set up to continue advancing and educating and organizing around the program we ran on in 2020. Okay, thank you. And thank you to our listeners. We welcome your questions and feedback. You can learn more about the Climate Hour podcast at climategkc.org. That's climategkc.org. This is the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove.